songsters it's Deidre here it's summertime what summertime means for me is that I am at summer camp with my girls in Pennsylvania for the whole summer it's amazing we do musicals here we do songwriting here they do rock bands here so it's really awesome but what it does mean is that I'm going to be replaying some earlier episodes from the song inside since I have not been able to interview anyone here and upload it because the Wi-Fi is a bit suspect. So please enjoy, for your listening pleasure, this very first episode that was ever aired on The Song Inside. My brother, Blake Lewis, we talk about how we found each other as biological brother and sister. We talk about his time on American Idol, about songwriting. It's very dishy. So please enjoy this episode, and I'll be replaying some other favorites throughout the next few weeks. And then when I get back from summer camp at the end of August, we'll pick up again with new episodes of The Song Inside. If you're new, welcome. If you're still here, thanks for listening. And remember, there's a song inside everyone, including you. Hello and welcome to The Song Inside, where we go inside people's stories to discover their songs. I'm your host, Deidre Rodman-Struck, piano goddess and song goddess, and I'll be walking people through this journey to find the songs hidden within themselves. Welcome. I moved to New York City in 1997 to work for the Big Apple Circus, playing keyboards in the band. I got to New York straight off of a cruise ship, jumped ship in Rome, moved to New York, met the person who's my husband the first day here, and I never looked back. But before that, I grew up in Idaho, in the mountains, in the valleys, hearing the beautiful jazz piano of Gene Harris and the beautiful country and folk music of other people in the town. And I grew up adopted. I was born in Twin Falls and raised in Boise by a mom who was a pianist and a dad who listened to Beethoven and Gilbert and Sullivan. I grew up Mormon and I always wondered who am I? I'm a combination of all of these things. I'm a musician, I'm a pianist, I'm a singer. I write lots of little songs, but who am I really? What's my identity? And this question has been following me my whole life. So when I moved to New York and met my new husband, I have two kids, played in a lot of different bands, done a lot of different things, I continued to mine these stories inside of myself for my identity, my songs. I feel like through songwriting and through songs, I discover more about who I am. So fast forward to about 10 years ago when I'm working with Carnegie Hall doing the Lullaby Project. This is a project where we, teaching artists, help moms in prisons and shelters and hospitals write songs for their babies. And what I realized during this process is that, wow, every single person I meet has a story and a song inside of them. If not hundreds, if not thousands, they just don't always know that the songs are there. So with Carnegie, it's great because it's my job to sort of help people find out what those songs are and bring them into the light. And I realized I want to do this with everybody. And in the process, I'm probably going to learn more about myself, too. I should also mention that as part of my story, I found my birth parents. And guess what? Both of them are musicians. 
and I have lots of siblings. There's tons of music everywhere. There's so much music around me. I want to help other people find their music, their songs. That's my passion, and that's why I've created The Song Inside. Well, welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of The Song Inside. I'm so happy to be doing this podcast, and I'm especially happy that my first guest is a very, very special person. He was special before I met him, but he's uh, additionally special because he's related to me. <laughs> it's my brother, Blake Lewis. Hello, Blake. Hi, sis. Hi, bro. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be emotional through this whole thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm already feeling emotional. Oh, I'm, boy. Sen- I'm sending you, you know, positive hugs. Through uh, this microphone. (laughs) Thank you. I feel it. I feel the hugs coming in. So we're going to kind of start at at the beginning here. Um, So the first thing people should know is that I met you, what, four years ago? Five five years ago? I want to say five. I think it was five years ago now when I found our mother, my birth mother, Dinah, which is a long story in and of itself. I'm not going to focus on that story today, but I am going to say that the first time I met you was on FaceTime. It was Christmas, and then all of a sudden there you were. I was like, whoa, yeah. this is my this is my half-brother. Do we look alike? This is so weird. Yeah, I know. Reality. Reality. <laughs> and then the first time we actually met was in an airport, right? I, yeah, the day before my birthday. Um, you were heading to, I think you're heading to Vancouver. You you were on a, a, uh, in between flights and I had just flown in from LA to Seattle. That was so random, but not random. It was awesome. We had never met each other. It felt like a movie. It did feel like a a movie. I had never met you in person and then turned out that we were in the same airport at the same time with the same layover or whatever. And then we were running to each other in the airport, and I remember you were—you grabbed me and you screamed something like, "This is my sister!" Yeah, <laughs> it was really epic. It was definitely epic, and uh, my mom picked me up. Right. Yeah. Wow. So wild. It was wild. I also remember that I desperately wanted you to like me because, well, I think A, just being adopted means that you just kind of are always assuming everyone's going to reject you. So I really wanted you to like me. And you were so cool. You're so cool. Uh, I don't know about that, but I, fe- I the the feeling is mutual because being an only child or thinking you're an only child, <laughs> you want everyone to like you. So yeah, I was, I was in that headspace as well. Right. Well, so for people that don't know much about you, can you just give us a little bit of background on growing up and kind of the role music played in your life? And so because this is called The Song Inside, some different times when you were growing up that you that songs made a difference or songwriting or singing made a difference. Just give us a little overview of Blake. Okay. Um, well, I guess growing up, my mother, our mother, Dinah Lewis, is a... <laughs> Uh, bluegrass singer when I am born uh, into uh, you know always been into like rock but she was uh, very much into bluegrass so that was playing on it in the house and my dad was into more classic rock and 
um, I guess, popular music of, you know, the 70s and, and 80s. Uh, and so that's kind of what I was listening to until I was till like about five years old is when I started developing taste, I guess, because just listening to the radio at the time in the 80s and um, I fell in love with Duran Duran and Michael Jackson and um, George Michael and um, I wonder who it's always weird to go way back and like think of like the vinyl that I got my parents to buy me when I was at a, at a young age and uh, Duran Duran really stuck that, that Rio album just really made an impact because I honestly think it's because of the harmonies because I was, <clears throat> excuse me, listening to so much bluegrass from my mom. Um, I fell in love with three part harmony, but synthesizers was like a new thing and i was just like so stoked on that oh man um, i wish we had grown up together because i was alone in my room with the synthesizer that i had dragged home from the junior high school <laughs> in the carpool and i had like double tape decks going i was multi-tracking and trying so to awesome. do you know aha songs and whatever else yeah i am um, i was not really into music i guess until we moved which was in 89 and then because i grew up on a street with no kids on it so i didn't have any friends until i was nine years old really um i i lived for school because there was other people you know other kids around um but music wasn't a you know i always loved it um and i was a little performer but i never like asked the question you know, my, my parents tried to put me into sports and I wasn't into it. And so I kind of had to find music in, in my own way. Um, uh, because I, I was like, I wasn't really into bluegrass really. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, that wasn't like, wasn't my jam. And, um, <clears throat> uh, so I, um, as soon as we moved and, and met other kids and they were like, you know, I, I moved to a block of like, I don't know, like 25 kids were on this block and like some of them were into music and they were playing piano and they had a piano teacher. And I was like, well, I want to do that. If these guys, if they're doing it, I want to do that. So when I was 11, my parents got me a piano and I was sold, you know, um, even though my mom was a great, like uh, finger picker, guitar player. Um, I really loved that and enjoyed that guitar never became that thing for me. That's Which piano in, is the best would, instrument. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally like, biased. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like most kids would have, though. You know what I mean? If mm -hmm. you know, because they're like trying to like fulfill their like parents' dream for them. You know what I mean? But me, I found piano on my own right, and I think it was more acceptance as well. In you know my the friend society, you know. <laughs> <laughs> When, I was like, I want people to like me, you know, I'm an only <laughs> child. Um, but at the same time, I fell in love with classical piano. I um, I was listening to like uh, Horowitz on, uh, you know, on this double CD. I, I got like some classical music and Handel's Messiah. And I, I just, I loved like, uh, you know, chamber music and soon as I got into junior high, that was it. Like singing was like my thing. I, I joined a professional youth choir. Um, and when I was 
I want to say, yeah, it was the summer. So it was, I was turning 13, uh, went to London and Wales with this tour and we completed in the international Estedfa, which is the international, uh, youth choir competition of the world. And we ended up getting fourth place and I sang a solo. Uh, so I was like, Oh, this is it. Like I'm away from my parents. (laughs) I'm in another country. I'm touring music technically at an early age. And that really, you know, this is a couple of years after starting playing piano and really getting into singing. And that was it for me. And so it was all about trying to find my voice. And I mean, I was this pipsqueak, like five foot one, maybe kid that was a goofball. Cause I was in love with comedy and cartoons. I was always making noise you know, just making weird noises, trying to make everyone laugh. I was totally the class clown, and but music was my calling. Um, when did you, I didn't know when did you other, first know that music was your calling? Was there? I know there probably wasn't one moment, but when did you sort of realize? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it has to be probably that that moment. You know what I mean? Um, just traveling and being with cool people that are like super stoked to be doing that. Oh, excuse me. And, um, I, uh, that experience that was like two and a half weeks traveling, Mm. you know, and there was only like four adults and they let us go off for like four hours at a time. You know, it's such an impressionable time being a, you know, Mm teenager and uh being in a foreign country and meeting like you're you're staying with like you know um not not in hostels but like with uh you know other Families, families yeah you know and like getting to know their kids you know and i i grew up loving uh you know anything british because my mom was obsessed with victorian culture and that's all we watched we watched pbs oh and we i'm watched learning all these... so much about our mother today yeah we, all we <laughs> did is watch like lovejoy agatha christie sherlock holmes <laughs> you know all these british programs and and i was stoked because that's all the music that i loved too was like 80s synthwave and all the amazing british bands um so i was so stoked to be over there and all i did was like buy vinyl and um cd's uh any chance I could get was like finding like stuff that I couldn't find in the U S. Um, and so that's kind of where all my money went and, and photography, I was really into photography and, and taking pictures. So I actually have like a pretty cool book from that experience. Um, far as photos are concerned, but, um, I digress. (laughs) Um, so after that getting into, you know, going to high school, that was just like the next evolution because, our high school had a great theater, um, a great theater teacher, um, performance teacher. Um, and so I started auditioning for musicals and, you know, was always kind of like the underdog. I never got the lead. Like my best friend who was like this totally good looking, like sing his face off can you know, could dance pretty well always got the lead, you know, so I was always in like the shadow, but I was always doing my own thing. And halfway through high school, I, f- I feel like it was Christmas, my junior year. 
I saw this acapella group and it changed my life forever. And they're called Impact. And I saw the show and it was the first month South Park aired, um, which I was obsessed with. Like <laughs> there was only like one episode and they kept replaying it. It's the first episode. And I could do all the voices. And because I just grew up being a mimic and a sponge and... You know, especially the first 10 years of my life, that's all I did was like watch cartoons and I had no friends. So I was just always like being the Transformers and, you know, doing all the voices for (laughs) He-Man and, you know, Ninja Turtles and all these things. And uh, flash forward to high school, seeing this acapella group and this beatboxer, Matthew Selby, who was also an amazing, amazing arranger, uh, vocal arranger and songwriter and... I just talked to him for like 45 minutes after the show and just was in his face. Like, what, what is this beatboxing thing? Like I could do that. And I did like a, you know, something like, that's all I was doing. That's all, you know what I mean? And he's like, cool. And I was like, like, when's your next show? It's like, Oh, we got a show in a week. It's like, cool. I'll be there and I'll be a beatboxer by then. Like I was so determined (laughs) and, um, you know, doing all these like South park voices for him and whatnot. And, um, the next week I was a beatboxer. Like I seriously spent like a week, like 24 hours a day beatboxing. And I came back the next week and he was like, holy crap. Like what? Like you, you did this in a week. Like I've been doing this my whole life and we became fast friends and he was kind of my mentor and I followed them around like a, like a lost dog, uh, every show they played. And, um, then I started opening, opening for them doing like five minutes or they'd bring me out when they're doing like some, like, breakdown of one of their songs and and um i was stoked because by that time like a year had gone by a year had gone by and my actual choir teacher didn't put me in the jazz choir and i was super pissed off yeah understandable (laughs) But, but, but i moved on because my audition was amazing but she's like you don't have the work ethic and i was like Bish, this is <laughs> high school. Ain't nobody got the work ethic to be a singer. Like we're trying to sing. Like, and I, I and I was like, look, I auditioned better than anyone, and everyone was like, oh, you're in. Like everyone was like, your audition was dope. Like, and she didn't put me in, but wow. the performance teacher put me in the performance class, and that oh. kind of changed everything around because that put me on stage in a different kind of light. So I didn't, I didn't hold it against my my choir teacher. Uh, they say awesome. everything happens for a reason so maybe it was yeah exactly you know and the you know when someone tells you no you know another door opens or you know you change perspective and and you move on I was mad for about 45 minutes <laughs> and then you know the next school year my senior year started and I was in this awesome class doing one acts and directing and and doing monologues and you know, and and from there, I didn't ask the questions that I really wanted to, which is how do I pursue this like, you know, auditioning uh, um, and like finding, you know, I wish I had known about this stuff like when I was 10 instead of, you know, 16, 17 at the time. You know, I feel like I was late and I, I still do. Like even every time I audition now, I'm just like, man, I, I could have been doing this 20 years ago, you know, Um <laughs> That kind of, uh, you know, the grass is always greener feeling right. or something. I, think I mean, most, especially most musicians I know feel that we're late, unless you know, I have a friend from Brazil and she grew up 
everybody played music in her house constantly. That was the, the, the language she just breathed. And I remember hearing that going, that's not fair. Like, yeah, totally. I don't, you know, I didn't know what jazz was until I was in high school. And mm-hmm. so I, I understand that yeah. feeling, but, oh, but you showed up right when you were supposed to show up. Exactly. And I learned what I was supposed to learn at the time. Um, but I was just never good at asking like, Oh, like that's a job. Like I was doing voices my whole life. Like I should be do like, doing video games and all these and cartoons. I was like, Oh yeah, that's someone's job. And it was the same thing with beatboxing until I saw someone do it. It was never like a thing for me. But at that moment in time, I like fully immersed myself in hip hop and like beatboxing changed my life in, in a, in a way I never thought possible. Like it opened my ears to so much more music and how I perceived percussion and drums. And I started listening to world beat. I started listening to like so much music from Africa and France and, and you know, all over the world. And, uh, it really changed my perception of rhythm and, um, what the human voice is, is capable of and, and the possibilities. And, um, it was crazy because then I was like doing sounds I'd heard no one do really in the way that I was doing them. And from there out of high school, I was, I took a year off. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college for like theory and, uh, production. Cause I've always, I, I was in high school. I fell in love actually before high school. I would say in, in junior high, I fell in love with electronica and what they call EDM now. Um, which is such a generic name for such a, you know, in-depth type of music, which is, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, EDM, oons, oons, oons. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but have you heard of Autecker or, you know, Amon Tobin or, you know, all these amazing, crazy, crazy geniuses, scientists. Uh, but anyway, um, so I was like a full-on raver, uh, I was in a hip hop group. I um, I started writing hooks. I started writing little songs. Um, I wrote my first song in like junior high with my neighbor who was not musical at all. It was basically him just in the room and then me writing the song. And that was my first one. It was called Time Passes On. It was in D minor. Oh, we need to and hear a little it, of this song now. Come and on. It, it was like time passes on. But my feelings are strong. It was like so yes. me trying to be my emulate my mom. It was like it was like very like finger like picking. Earnest, like, very earnest. Yeah, yeah. And um <laughs> you know, the first song is never usually a good one. My first song <laughs> I think uh, was called Candy Cane Carousel. So it was well, in C a, major, also white fun, notes. Super, super fun name. There's a candy cane carousel in Candyland. Or something like that. Was that a waltz? <laughs> it was. It was a waltz. Yes. That's a candy cane carousel. Anyway, you can collaborate on that later. Um, And now I want a candy cane. And ride a carousel. Let's do both. So, um, let's see. Okay, so... After that, I'm trying to give you the fastest, like, I know. synopsis. Well, the of crazy my, thing my is, I actually career. don't, I've never heard you tell this story because the way that we've met, it's been catching up in bits and pieces. It's not like we've sat down and said, Tell me your whole life. 
It's just, it's been more organic than that. So this is fascinating for me. I don't really even know (laughs) half of this stuff. So please carry on. Your intro was fascinating for me. So, well, there you go. Uh, There we go. Um, So, so you took a year off. I was depressed after high school because I wasn't doing any music. Like that stage wasn't happening. And I wasn't like going after it because I didn't know. It was no, you know, internet. I mean, far as like, the most you'd get is like a guitar center bulletin board of like seeking bandmate. And, you know, um, I would, and I would live at like the record stores, like three days a week, I would probably go to record stores and I would talk to and and see like, what's going on. Like what's the pulse of the city? I'm not even 18 yet. I can't even, (laughs) you know, buy cigarettes. I love this idea of lurking around the records. Like, Hey, Hey, what's up? Hey, (laughs) this is what I had. I had a bitchin' Camaro. With a, a like a two thousand dollars sound system in there because I worked at Circuit City. Oh yeah! And all I did was spend my paychecks on CDs and audio equipment from there. And then I was like, "Wait, what am I doing working here? I could work at Guitar Center, <laughs> just like every you know, like where can I go? That's all I knew, you know. Um, instead of like uh, talking to like going to like the all ages place and be like, yo, how can I work there? Or like I ended up working at a studio as an, uh, you know, an intern apprentice um, while I was doing my, a few weeks of college that I had because I didn't like my theory teacher. So I stopped going to that class. I was like, you're not making this like fun to learn. Um <laughs> And I'm a one-on-one person. I, I'm not good in a classroom. So, And then my other production class, I was already so far advanced because I had already like bought all my the gear and started producing that it was, they, they wouldn't put me in the like, you know, two, 201 class or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Right. And I just turned in my f- final and he passed me because <laughs> he was a, he was a, <laughs> he, he liked what I was doing, which was nice of him. But I, I never went. I never went back. Um, so six months, yeah, six months into, uh, or out of high school, I, I was at Circuit City, and I got a call from Matthew Selby, the beatboxer from Impact, and he, he, uh, he's like, "Hey, I'm playing Green River. You should come out." And I was like, "Oh, I am," because, funny enough, my high school teacher, um, my choir teacher the jazz choir my best friend was in because he was a year younger than me so i would come in and i would beatbox for them and uh there i was like i'm already gonna be at green river so that's cool because i'm actually gonna be beatbox beatboxing for my you know for my old high school for their competition you know i'm like i wonder if that's legal in the uh (laughs) contest rules or whatever but it didn't really matter it's jazz music come on (laughs) let's go and uh I think they, I don't know, they they, they might have won, I don't, I don't honestly remember, but he had a little like beatboxing tutorial class um, every year he would do that. So I would just come in and, and just hang out and mm-hmm. then he'd bring me up at the end of the class and uh, we'd jam. And then at the end of that, he's like, hey, the, I'm leaving Impact to go to California and be a music producer for Disneyland. Damn. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he, yeah. And uh, he is the he's the main music like arranger and producer for all Disney properties. 
Wow. Like, okay, we need to talk acapella later. Group, <laughs> if you see an acapella group at Disneyland, he arranged that. If you've seen wow. a band there, he put all the music Amazing. together. And, yeah, so he's been doing that for 20 years now, 21. So, yeah, so this is 2000. And so I auditioned for this band called Kickshaw, this acapella group, which the beatboxer from that group is being the replacement for Matthew. Mm. Um, and, uh, in his group. So I auditioned for this group called Kickshaw and I'm super nervous. I've never auditioned really for anything like besides like high school things, you know? And, um, and, uh, it goes really well. And I come back the next day and they're like, Hey, you're the guy. And from that moment on, I feel like that was February. I think I had like a month to like learn the music and, they didn't have many gigs that month, but like their schedule was like crazy. It was like 30 gigs a month. It was nonstop. And, um, I pretty much went to part time and I only, I only worked at circuit city, maybe 10 hours a week. And from, I don't know, uh, April, May, June, July. Yeah. Like from April to September was crazy the first year. And it really just like, shoved performing down my throat and like how to get better at it. It's kind of funny because I, I just watched uh, some VHS uh, in my parents' place of like, I guess maybe the first, it was the first year, the first year I was there. It was And it's just so crazy to look back on something like 20, 20 years ago and uh, be like, okay, wow. That's like, that's the origin story right, right there. That's where it know? all began. Yeah. <clears throat> What's and crazy so, to me is that like you you had this clear idea of what you wanted to do and nothing stopped you. Like the jazz teacher saying no didn't stop you. You you're going to hang out with this guy at his club. You're still working at Circuit City like ten hours a week. You're just doing it. You had this like, oh, I'm gonna do it. Like very stubborn. You're oh, a stubborn yes. brother I, is what I, you are. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I think there's actually footage of me on like the last day of high school um, saying, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm or like say something to yourself, like for, for the 10 year reunion that you'll have. And it's like, cool, I'm coming back a rock star. Like F all (laughs) y'all, you know what I mean? And I did, which was cool. You know, I mean, in my own mind, (laughs) you know, well, for sure. So, um, so yeah, Kickshaw happened. That lasted four years. And during that time I developed myself, which was, you know, trying to become a songwriter, which was really tough for me. I'm not, I'm not so much a lyricist and, and I'm more of, uh, about melody and, and composition. Um, but I was doing a hip hop group called Unexpected Arrival and the, the song that I wrote the hook for ended up going to number one in Seattle and I was 19 and I knew nothing about commerce and our business and I got paid nothing and I wrote it, you know, and, and so I had a falling out with that hip hop group cause they'd pay me like 20 bucks or pay for my parking to show up at the show that they're playing. And there's like 500 people inside and, you know, and I was just so stoked back then. But after that, like became a thing and it kept going like on for a year, I was like, well, F off. I'm not working with you ever again. And I <laughs> right. never worked with them again. Um, so that kind of crushed me with hip hop. So I didn't do much hip hop stuff anymore, but I was the host of all these massive 4,000 people raves performing with like my favorite 
you know, electronic artists at the time, which is, you know, Paul Van Dyke and BT and, and then also in drum and bass and, um, and breakbeat. And I was, I was obsessed with all that. And, um, you know, I just was like obsessed with electronic music while being an acapella group (laughs) while playing open mics every, every week from the time I was 20 till, I don't know, like 24. I, I loved open mics. Um, I never did karaoke. I never sang other people's music. I basically developed my own one man beatbox show, uh, at this, at these open mics. Um, this one place called the jet deck, uh, out here in Everett, Washington back in the day, which was on a, on a, on paying field, which is an airport, which is Boeing's airport basically which now is an official airport which is crazy um but it was all these you know like little cessnas and all these small airplanes flying in while you're like singing at this like shack that sounds so fun i want to go there right now it was so fun and like dirty and like it was just gritty and all these like cats would come in like amazing, the owner had amazing taste, so he'd always have these crazy good bands, like jam band, like fish type jam bands, funk bands, you know, like rock bands, and uh, and then I I would do my thing, which was like pop, hip hop, rock, like weirdness, you know, get <laughs> weird and and do like ten minute improvs of just vocals of just looped beatbox at like a bass line and just weird weird stuff you know sampling myself sampling the audience this the stuff that i've done for 20 years like that was the uh the the christening into being a solo musician and really enjoying just whatever like Mm -hmm. i seriously never really wrote a song for like a couple years you know not until like 2000 and three or four I wrote my first good song and I was like so so stoked I was like hey like wow (laughs) I did that you know but meanwhile you're improvising and composing on the spot with live audiences all the time which is crazy yeah it was really tough to be that guy and then like sing a pop song Mm -hmm. for people you know because that is actually you know my I love singing songs so uh, that's that's always been the 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 tough balance between my putting myself in a box because I'm like an out of the box character, but at the same time, if you write a song, it like instantly puts you in that place, you know. So I people are some people loved the song, some people didn't, some people loved the improv stuff, some people hated it. You know what I mean? Like it's very self indulgent when you're like just making stuff up and like you're tripping out on stage. Like music got me high. I wasn't really smoking weed at the time or anything. I was just getting high off making weird noises, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and I love that you but, say you're thinking out of the box because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that that's the time of your life when you're just figuring out your musical voice is to try all the things. I mean, yeah. I remember going on the road with my jazz quintet, and we came from New York to go through Idaho, and I was super into playing the melodica. Because I was just was like, what's this about, you know? And a tenor player was like, oh, no, she's picking it up again. Because it was slightly out of tune. <laughs> but you got to try all the weird stuff and have people support you and be there. And not everybody's going to like it. But then you figure it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was, 
it took me a long time to figure it out. <laughs> well, I feel like I we're, we're always it. all figuring it out all the time. Yeah, and we're always evolving and changing. Um, and I guess that's probably when I was changing. I was actually like, okay, challenging myself to write songs. And after I wrote the good, the first good one, I was like, okay, well then I can do this. Like I can, I can make an album. So that was kind of like the start of what would sort of be my first album. Um, I had like this demo. I was also called B Shorty. B Shorty was like my stage name for, I don't even know how many years, six years, six, seven years. And, um, 2004, I quit my acapella group and to per, like to pay off loans and I, I i just got tired of it we just never evolved um i love i love my fellas actually we're actually gonna have a reunion here at the end of the month in oh a, in, a cabin, in, a, in a cabin and like awesome. jam for the first time in 17 years you know that's cool so um i'm excited about that but um yeah i just i i got tired of doing the same stuff like if had we evolved and we everyone like contributed and wrote different tunes it would have been a, another story but uh, a couple members left, and then we got new members, and then it just kind of like didn't go anywhere after that. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna devote myself to like learning production more, and you know, paying my loans off. So I that was the first time I in like three years that I got a full time job. I I worked for my dad's construction company and like worked my ass off. While at the same time, I worked nights at a club, a club called Element in Seattle, which was like the premier dance club at the time, right by the Space Needle. And so I was like, it was nuts. I, I worked, I don't even know how many hours a week, like maybe 80 hours a week. And I had one day off and that was Sunday and I slept for half the day and then I'd try and write a song, you know. <laughs> so and that went on for like a year. Wow. Uh, the club went on for two years. Uh, I did that. And I met so many people in the industry that remembered me because around that time, that's like 2005 or, or start of 2006, I quit everything to pursue music full time um, because I was also gigging like three days a week. Um, I worked in a, at a burlesque show as the host in this crazy character I came up with, like full wig and, and makeup called Charles Siegfried. In the Pike Place Market, I, you know, around these like a beautiful women, just like a dream come true as a performer, you know, very vaudeville. <laughs> like I was doing weird, weird songs and like, you know, kind of a mixture of like Austin Powers meets Clockwork Orange kind of vibe. I, and uh, can I just say I have, so the cool, I, I have the coolest brother ever. Come on. That's ridiculous. Say what? I have the coolest brother ever. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Weirdest brother, maybe. Well, but that's um, also true, but I think they're the same thing for me. So, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, um, yeah, so I was doing that. I was playing at like a dueling piano bar as like just doing my own beatbox thing. And then, and so I would learn a couple of songs that, and that was the first time I learned other people's music, really. Like I, I, I learned you know, I, I Maroon Five had just come out, and I was like, "What is this? This is amazing!" Not so much now, but like <laughs> when they first came out, I was like, "This is a crazy hybrid pop group that's like playing like ACDC riffs mixed with Janet Jackson and Stevie Wonder, and you know, the music was sexy." And I was like, "Ugh!" So I was obsessed with them, and they came to Seattle, and I met them, and we ended up hanging out 
at the end of their show for like four hours. And I was like, Oh, this, this, this shit's a reality. Like, like I, I mean, I've been doing this for like six years at that, at that point, you know, and, and, but never was like, okay, this is like a touring band and they're like, they're, they're going to explode. This is before, this is like six months before they exploded. Mm. And, um, I was like just grilling them about like what they've done, how they did it, like what, you know what I mean? I was like, okay, I got to get out of Seattle, like, or I got to build, like, you know, I got to write more songs. Like they, like that, they inspired me to like write more, you know? And, um, and so at that time I, I was like, I just paid off all my loans and that's why I kind of went full-time musician again. It's like, okay, I don't have any debt. I, I really need to like give this a shot. So I started producing. Uh, I started trying to write more songs. And then I actually bring it back to a kickshaw reunion. We had a kickshaw reunion because um, one of the other guys was in this amazing acapella group called The Bobs, which is like a famous, like super witty, almost comical acapella group. Um, and they were playing the Triple Door, which is like a famous jazz lounge uh, theater in downtown Seattle. And he asked us to like, Hey, let's come up and do like a song together, you know, come out to the show and have some drinks. And so I did. And then after the show, I get a, a random phone call from, uh, a friend I hadn't spoken to. I didn't like maybe six months or something. He's like, Hey mate, I'm auditioning for American Idol. <laughs> why, why don't you come with me at five in the morning? <laughs> and I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> And he like begged me to, to like, hey, I know, man, come on. Like, I don't want to stand in line by myself. I'll I'll get you breakfast. I know it's early, but like, who knows? Maybe you'll make it. And I, that, I had no interest. And I was like, all right, because he's a homie. And because I I guess they had been in town for a week. I didn't I didn't know how it worked. And I was like, I've not I did not care one. <laughs> I'd never seen the show. It's it'd been running for five years already. I couldn't care less. And I get there. It's like dumping rain. It's a crazy Seattle weather. It's like the worst rain in Washington. <laughs> and so, of course, like they're like, and we're in Seattle and it's everyone's got their Starbucks and it's raining, you know, Ryan Seacrest <laughs> or whatever. And and now <laughs> I'm auditioning for American Idol and they they decide to go backwards instead of forwards that day. So, cause I signed up so last I was in and out of there within like, after waiting outside in the rain for four hours, when I got in there, it was like an hour of them, like shooting the crowd going like, we built this city. And I was like, <laughs> this is so stupid. I could not wait to get out of there. And then I auditioned, which is, you know. 30 seconds they just give you a once over and they're like okay cool you made it to the next round it was like nothing <laughs> it was like you know it was honestly them like looking at what you look like if you and like they could barely hear you because it's a stadium and you don't have a mic and there's 10 tents of people auditioning wow or booths and and so they're like okay come back in two days at this hotel i instantly call two of my best friends because I'd never seen the show and I'm like yo um I because I didn't tell anyone I was doing right. this because it was it was so random it was right I didn't have time to tell anyone I was but now I'm like oh 
Yo, I kind of made it through the first round for American Idol auditions. What do I do? And my friends freaked out. I mean, they were like, ah, what? Ah, okay, 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 okay. And they're like, do not beatbox. You know, uh, what What are you planning on singing? Like, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I was singing Seal or, or Maroon 5. And they're like, do Maroon 5. And so I did. I made it through the next round. And then... The, the next round was like the main producer and I froze. Mm. I performed like crap. And he's like, Blake, that was shite. <laughs> and I go, you are right. <laughs> that was terrible. I, I've never been nervous before. And I got nervous. He's like, you can't do that. I'm putting you through Paula, Simon, and Randy, you know, tomorrow you got to show up and do it for them. So you better have your shit together. Damn. <laughs> it's like, I was like, Aye, aye, Captain, you know, <laughs> I mean, and um, yeah, the next day I had to wait for like 12 hours in this oh, like man. room and, you know, my parents came out and uh, it was like a big deal. It wasn't a big deal to me, but it was, you know, and I made it and <laughs> I I was just like not trying that hard. I, I honestly was like, if the universe wants me to have this happen. It's going to happen. I was, I, I have, I always had this, I guess I've always tried to manifest things, mm -hmm. but with this, I was like trying to play it cool and like not cause I got nervous in front of this dude. I was like, yo, why, why? Like, why? I was like checking myself. I'm like, why am I getting nervous in front of this guy I've never met? And you know, like I'm just singing a song. If I end up on the show, that's cool. Like that'll be a cool experience. So I was trying not to like feel the pressure at all. I love this story because I feel like you and I are similar in more ways than we know, because often I find that the best things happen when I'm not trying. I'm just myself. And everybody's looking for that authentic, that new voice, that new person. But so often people are trying to be the next whoever, and the next big thing. And you were just like, you just showed up. You were yourself. They saw something original and unique in you. And you're like, okay, Blake, come on, shake it off. Let's do this. <laughs> well, I, I totally agree uh, with what you just said. But I also, I feel like because I'm such a sponge and a mimic that I've like, I almost, back then I almost went too far with that. Like mm. my friend BT, who was like, my mentor from afar because I was so inspired by his music production, the way he'd handled vocal treatments as a producer. And so I kind of emulated that as a vocalist, you know what I mean? So that influence was like heavily on me. And then, you know, I was obsessed with pop like MJ and all these other, you know, so I, I, I take into account that like I am the culmination of our, you know, our past experiences and, and, and our influences and me especially. So, uh, that's like the one thing I love about theaters because you get to you get to be someone completely different, and so I was also trying to be like, okay, how can I authentically be me, but not get nervous? Like I'm gonna walk into this room as a character, like, and that like instantly didn't work. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I was like, okay, just be yourself, and <laughs> on, you know, it all came down to that room with Paula, Paula Simon and Randy because they have your accolades on paper and you know i talked to all my I, by that point you know this is the fourth audition i've talked to so many people but who have auditioned for american idol like i called everyone all over the freaking planet like what was your experience like what was this about because 
like I want to do well, but like if I don't, that's fine. You know what I mean? It's yeah. No matter what, the next day I'm going to be myself and I'm going to go back to like doing what I was doing, which was like I was stoked. I was creating my first album already, you know, and um, I uh, I walked in the room and I was definitely nervous, but I was like way more confident than before. You know what I mean? Because I was like forced to be and, you know, they have all these things. And, and at that point, like I had a number like I had a number one on the radio for hip hop. I opened for you know, Jurassic five and I beatboxed for Dell, the funky homo sapien and played the show box and, and done these like cool things. Um, I almost played I Coachella before that moment, you know, but I, I was like a dummy. I turned it down cause I didn't, <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Um, and, um, and so I like sing and it's okay. I do seals crazy, which is actually out there on YouTube unfortunately, um, <laughs> in my audition. And, um, it's actually not how it goes down because, um, they weren't satisfied. Paula made me sing an, uh, another song. So I did Sunday morning and that's what got me through. But on this paper, it says all these things like, Oh, see, beatbox champion of on mm -hmm. the West coast and all these things. And, and Randy just keeps pushing at me and pushing and he's like, yo, will you be, yo, you got a beatbox for us. I'm like, yo, I'm here to sing. I said no, like four or five times. Oh my I'm gosh, like, Blake. You know, I said no <laughs> to them. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not comfortable doing it. Oh I, my I, I, I'm, I guess I'm like, I honestly want to be here because of a singer. That's also like, it's my passion, you know, um, beatbox came naturally and it, it, it was a passion for sure, but this isn't a beatbox competition. You know what I mean? This is American Idol. These are all singers and stuff. And all my friends are like, do not beatbox. Like, uh. you won't make it if you beatbox. <laughs> because all these beatboxers did it and they'd be like, no, we don't need beatbox. You know what I mean? Right, right. But I did. And, uh, you know, Simon was not impressed at all. Like, I knew he wouldn't be. And, and, <laughs> not they surprising. Were, and, oh, here, here's a, here's a little, <laughs> a little tidbit that was not on camera. Well, most of it wasn't. I mean, it was all on camera, but they did not show anything. I hate watching my audition because it's not how it went down at all. <laughs> but I moonwalked out of the room because I came in there too early and they oh were like God. eating something. <laughs> and then I, and Paula was like, ooh, I like him. Like before I ever did anything, I left the room and came back again. Oh so all the steam and momentum I had like charging into that room to like have a good performance and audition was like totally shut down. And so I like came back in the room with the tail between my legs and then I auditioned and it wasn't that great. That's so that's why they made me sing another song. I was like, you fuckers. Oh my God, that's hilarious. You can beep that out. Um, I've but, never um, heard any of it. We've never talked about American Idol really, me and you. Oh, it's such a can of worms. Like I know. that, And that was the, that's just the auditioning process. That was like crazy. And so they, you know, I went to Hollywood Week and uh, – they they didn't show any of my performances there and I I did I really wish I they did because I felt like I crushed it you know what I mean like I was and it was so weird um, my mom was there and I didn't want her there like the only moms that were there were like for like 16 year olds and like you know what I mean I was like why, I'm 25 like why are you here like I was like so frustrated <laughs> and I had so much resentment it was weird it was weird cuz uh you know I battled you know with my mom and resentment in our family because I, 
I pursued music like super, you know, just like she did. And, and, you know, I feel like she was not ready to pass the torch to me in that sense. Um, so I was always like bitter when she'd finally show up to a show. Cause my dad came to like every performance I ever had. And my mom didn't. And my mom's like the singer of the family, you know what right. I mean? And performer. So I was always had this like, we, we cool now. Like we've been cool for like right. a decade or more. It's but, funny like, now that I think about it. The beginning of that experience was. I, I feel Narbo. like it's because she came to one of your performances that maybe I, I found out who she was in a way. Cause I was like looking and looking and looking to see if that, you know, could this be my birth mother? I don't know. I don't know. And then I found on YouTube this interview, or it, was, it wasn't even on YouTube. I don't know what it was on, but it was an interview where she was talking about coming to one of your American Idol shows. And I have a few things on my original birth certificate that are like a few things that she had said when she put me up for adoption. And one of them was she played violin when she was younger. She had her parents or grandparents were from Germany and she dropped a couple of those in the interview because at this point I, I was pretty sure it was her like you know I was I was pretty sure I'd found her but you know my husband Ben was saying like no 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 well until we find the birth date that matches we don't know for sure but then I was listening to this and she was saying, oh, and then I played violin when I when I was a kid. So, And all my grandparents from Germany and I sat straight up in bed and I said, Ben, I think I found my birth mother. I think I found her. This has to be her. And she was talking about you. And I was like, wait, does this mean I have a musical brother? <laughs> Crazy. It's funny how the way things, the way things work out. It's definitely, you know, life has its funny way of showing you things. You know? <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> or leading you down, you know, directions that you never thought you'd take or and right. or finding. I know. You know? And that I was mean, the same day a, that I, a, I, I found another journey. video of her. She was singing a Gordon Lightfoot song. Mm-hmm. Like, the way I feel is like nothing. And um, Clover came in and she was like three at the time. My One of my kids, she came in. And she looked at the video and she looked at me. She goes, is that your mama? I was like, I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> that was That's a weird 12 crazy. hours that day. That, I yeah, bet. That was a weird 12 hours. Anyway, so so go back to she was coming to all your things. You're on the show. It's Hollywood week. You're through that. Yeah. Oh, I, I made it. And then, you know, my parents came down as many times as they could. And I kept making it and kept making it. And... I mean, I won't go into the whole American Idol thing, but it was so surreal and it was insta fame and I couldn't handle that. I never wanted to be famous. I, I wanted to be, you know, playing stages to tens of thousands of people. Here I am. I'm playing to like millions of people a night, but it it was kind of a, a facade to me. Uh, I, I'm an entertainer, so I loved it. I thrive in that. I thrive in that situation. I get high in that situation. Like... I love it, but it was just so overwhelming and mm. so surreal, and it was the most popular thing on the planet. I mean, it, it, you know, more people voted for me than they do the president. Like that's just it's 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 crazy to me. It shouldn't be real. It wasn't reality, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. just a competition show. But also, art and music is not a competition. 
you know? So I had a real, real, real hard time on that show because I don't believe in false idols as well. And here I'm on the show called American Idol. I did not want to be American Idol. And I got second place on that show and I could have won it. And I would have been, I would have felt bad for winning. You know what I mean? You know, just like my beliefs and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and who I am. And the, the only reason why I did well is because I battled the producers and I told them no all the time. (laughs) And I, I, because they try to manipulate it. It, It's as much it is, it's like, oh yes, it's the competition. It's about that. But they're also like in your ear, like you're going to do this song. Oh, yeah. you're going to do this song. I'm like, no, I'm not. I already have this. The publishing is already like cleared. The license is cleared for me to sing this song that I arranged. And I was right. one of the only people that, you know, arranged his music on mm-hmm. that show that people liked the arrangements. There was right. other people doing their own arrangements, but I was the only one getting the love for them. So I feel like other contestants <laughs> were bitter about that. Um, <laughs> and we're all friends. You know what I mean? We're not really comp- competing, but some people were. Right. My well, I feel like only strategy yeah. was to smile, say thank you on camera, but off camera, tell people how I felt, you know. Right. Well, and you the didn't have that did not like that. That hunger that I think a lot of people have. They're just so death they're hungry. They want it so badly. Yeah. And here you are, you showed up randomly <laughs> at this thing for your friend. Oh yeah. You keep making it. You keep making it. It's like what else are you going to do except just do what you want to do? You're there. The producers kept threatening me so many times, like you could be off the show, and I was like, I don't give one fuck. <laughs> like, no matter if you don't want me here, I don't have to be here. Right? I, you know what I mean? Uh, right. And and it wasn't a disrespectful, uh, the way I ever said it to them. But I said, no, thank you. Right. No, I always I was I was on my p's and q's. But one <laughs> one day. There was one time that Nigel and I got into like a 45 minute <laughs> argument and he stormed out of the room and I basically told him to fuck off. And <laughs> the next day he came up to me and apologized and he was like, you were right. I was wrong. You're going to be the closer for tonight. This it is going to be amazing. Wow. And from then on, he never talked to me again about what song I was picking, how I was arranging it. He's like you. You're. The, he's like you're the only contestant to ever do this to me. And that says so I'm much okay about you now. because you are your bleakness just comes through, and I feel like people respect you more when you say, "I know what I'm doing. Like this is the vision that I have. I ha- actually have a vision, unlike a lot of people." I love that he apologized to you. I love that story. It was. It was really, really, really tough. It was it yeah. was tough to say the least. Like I won that battle finally. I wish I'd won that battle, you know, six weeks prior. I was already like, you know, in the middle of the show doing me, but they were always questioning it. I'm like, look, if I go out doing me, then I'm satisfied. I know that you're looking at he's he's a producer. He's trying to make the best show possible. He's also the biggest producer in the world at that moment. You know what I mean? It's the largest show globally there's never been a show like that show now it's just kind of a joke i, I mean to me like i hear you i i, I love the some of the producers that are still doing that show i love it but well also the market know. is saturated now because there's so many copycat shows exactly you know exactly yeah and i mean the competition show i mean there's a million of them just on netflix alone right. you know but 
that in that moment in time, like I just, I was like, I have to stick to who I am. I can't mm. bite my tongue. I bought, I bit my tongue on camera because you know, the whole voting process, the whole political aspect of it. I hate it. I'm, I, I've, you know, people might say white privilege or, or just privilege in general. Like I don't like politics. I never have. I've never been that political unless it comes to human rights um, or like environmental, you know, issues. And that's about it. Like I don't, I, I was never the popular kid in the class. And here I am on a wow. show, which is like, who's the most popular? I have like, a question That's for basically you. what it is. I have a question you know? for you. So how did you reconcile this during this time with your depression and your, it's, you found yourself on this crazy, crazy ride that you are continuing to be on. You want to be on in a lot of ways, but you're fighting with yourself in other ways. So what was going on sort of mentally during this time for you? Oh, I was so playing it cool when I, lots of shit was going on in my head. Like they had a on hand therapist at like all times. Um, and he would always check in with me. Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing great. Doing great. You know what I mean? He's like, are you sure? You know what I mean? And I wasn't, you know, uh, I, until the last week, um, cause they kind of did me dirty and a lot of people saw here's, here's the, the short story. I didn't want to be American Idol. I did not want to win. And the moment it was the top three, Melinda got voted off and it was Jordan and I, they put us in a room and they're like, okay, it's finale week now. It like the moment that the curtains closed on the top three, they put us in a room. It was all the producers. They're like, okay, it's go time now. This is going to be this most stressful week of your life. Wow. You know, and you're not going to sleep. You're going to get like two hours of sleep a night. Like it was crazy. God, it sounds and like this torture. is the so and yeah, well, it kind of was because they treated us like kids. We couldn't leave the the premises. They made us stay on the premises, which I escaped and left. I also told them to fuck off. <laughs> they wouldn't let us drive. My brother, like, ladies I'm and gentlemen. Tw I'm 25 years old. They wouldn't let us drive. They wouldn't let us go next door to grab a bite to eat. Like they fed us like the they're like they're making like millions of dollars and they're feeding us like the nastiest food. I'm like, what is going on? Damn. We're not getting paid to be here. It's like being a it's musician, a it's a competition all over show. The place. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, can you at least give us a healthy meal? Um. Anyway, um. So we're in this room and they play the song called "This Is My Now" and like, this is what you're singing next week. This is the the song that was written for you and Blake, you can't arrange it any way you uh, want to. Wow. And I, and this song Damn. was written for Jordan Sparks. So they basically, oh. I said, you just gave me second place in this competition. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. And I walked out the door. Wow. And it didn't wow. matter because I had to sing that song. I couldn't arrange it. I was going to do like a drum and oh bass version of this song. And, I had this elaborate plan I schemed up uh, to wear a vote for Jordan Sparks t-shirt in the finale <laughs> and bow out and say, thank wow. you, America. And uh, I told one person that. Oh, no. And uh, they had security guards watch me put on my shirt so I couldn't do that because it like 
This is crazy, Blake. This is crazy. Yeah, I made them. This is where I should have bit my tongue and like made sure I look good. And during that song, I was going to like slowly like be like, thank you, America, <laughs> for giving me this moment. Like change the words and just right. freestyle and be like, I, gr- I gracefully bow out of this competition. Jordan's the winner. Oh, man. And it, and I never did it, you know. Um, but you because, couldn't. I just it reminds me of well, like Elvis Costello doing Radio Radio well, on SNL. Well, like you couldn't do it though. It wasn't that I couldn't do it. It's because if I did it, people would have lost their jobs. Um, my friend who like made my clothes, um, who's one of my dear friends, Ashton Michael. <clears throat> you know, it was like one of his biggest gig at that time. We're both twenty five. He's like a famous you know, designer now. He just did all of Megan the Stallions and Beyonce and Gaga. I mean, he's done everybody now, you know? And, um, but back then, like that was like his biggest gig. I was his biggest client at that moment, you know, and in time probably, I mean, he still was doing, I mean, I think he was doing like Katy Perry and stuff too. So it wasn't just me, but, um, yeah. So, uh, I made the mistake and then I sang that song and I got, ridiculed by like Simon and these Ugh. people, which is fine because I, I I guaranteed me. I mean, they guaranteed me getting second place and I wanted to get second place on my own. I wanted to get, you know, and, and so that, that pissed me off. And I, I was going to be like, Hey, thank you judges. Thank you. Everything. Thank you. American idol. Um, these producers thought it would be a good idea for me to, to do a song that was written by Jordan Sparks. So, um, I'm going to have to say no. Damn. Oh my God. You know what I mean? That's called an unfair competition and unfair advantage. And, and, and I was, I was just going to take a bow, literally drop the mic and walk right. off stage. Wow. You know, which, uh, who knows what would have happened? Like it's all hypothetical in my brain, you know, what does your um, brain think would have happened if that had happened? I mean, I might've not got my record deal. I might've, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it would have, it would have gone down in time. Like people would be still be talking about it though too at this moment in time. So I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I took the high road. Maybe it's the high road. So my friend would keep his job, but he would have, he would have gone on to do exactly what he's doing regardless. You know what I mean? But I feel like it put you in such a, oh, that's such a hard position to be in. That is it's like an impossible place to be. Oh, I be. was like shaking on stage. Like, <sighs> like in that performance, like, it took all my will to get through that song. And I was not on stage at that moment. I was in another place and we're at the Kodak theater. It's like four, you know, four stories, yeah. four mezzanines and, and, ugh, you Just, know, I'm thinking uh, about like, we're talking about being able to find your voice and you're being told that your voice is not what they want. And you're being told actively that you can't be who you want to be. It makes sense to me that you would go out of your body because you're being sh- completely shut down. Yeah. I, um, my dad noticed, my dad knew like he, mm. you know, it was like the first time he saw me that I was like distressed because we had to record this song the day before in the oh. studio. And I'm recording with like seals producer that did like kiss from a rose, you know, this like super, like probably a nice guy, but I was an asshole to him. Like, Cause I was so pissed off. I'm like, I can't sing this song. He's yeah. like, you got, you got to sing this song, mate. You got to sing it. I was like, you don't even understand. This song fucking blows. It is a terrible song. 
and I'm forced to sing it on the show to say I'm me? Are you kidding me? That like, is the worst. This is, you know, so <laughs> I felt real bad. <laughs> Because it was a long recording session because I just kept walking out of the room. Like my, I can imagine, my dad like, was there and he was like, whoa, dude, what is up with you? And I was like, are you kidding me? This is this like rage. That whole week, that whole week was a blur. It wasn't it that makes, fun. It makes me enraged on your behalf for all the times people have said things to me and that were not on stage in front of millions of people like, oh, well, you can't play jazz because you're from Idaho or you're a girl, whatever. Like, we're not going to listen to you. I just can't believe the position they put you in and it also makes me really fucking proud of you for going through this and, you know, trying to be in touch with everything as much as you could. And it also makes me feel validated in a lot of ways in my life because I think, man, we are genetically related (laughs) and that's a fucking badass thing to do. And it makes me really proud to be your sister. Oh, thank you. It was... It was the only time I didn't have fun on that show. And here's the thing is like, it's so bittersweet because as soon as that curtain closed, that was the finale. It was done. That that curtain closed and it was done. I never, I would barely talk to those producers ever again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I never, I barely see half the people that were on that show with me. You know what I mean? Like everyone lives in different states and everything, but it was just like a, it was such a sad moment for me because I had such an amazing experience that entire time because mm-hmm. I I got to be me. You know what I mean? I mean, they wouldn't let me do my loop stuff. They wouldn't allow people to play music on that show yet. And then they, and then after the the curtains closed, they're like, next year we're going to allow people to play music because of you. Thanks, asshole. I was like, don't say because of me. Don't even tell me that. You know? But like, thanks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, will you tell that when you're talking about it? You know, when you're talking to the press about it? No, they, they might have mentioned my name a couple times. But you know what I mean? It was just like... Little little heartbreaks. It wasn't like a big heartbreak, but that I mean, the finale was because I didn't get to lose the way I wanted to lose. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I didn't want to win that show, but they made it so I lost without me wanting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I totally get the difference. It was so schemy, political Uh, in the background, manipulative. Because they chose they chose a song that was written for Jordan. Yeah. Oh man. For me to sing. You know what I mean? And like, you know, who knows and then I did what three it weeks of press afterwards oh, and I'm like God. trying to be like nice. Yeah. And I bit my tongue. I didn't talk about it. And I I really honestly wish I you know, because when you're talking to these, you know, I was on Good Morning America and The View and when you're talking to the piece people that are like radiant and like happy and they're like a media presence, mm-hmm. you don't want to be all like, Yeah, well, you know right. after you've just Basically, almost one American Idol. It was, yeah. it was such a weird, and I was told to bite my tongue by all the management all the time because they knew how I felt. Yeah, and so I just said okay, and, that, and like looking back, it's like that's not who I am. I don't bite my tongue for anybody. Yeah, like, but I'm come on, like blunt I mean, person. you can't you can't beat yourself up for that because again, impossible situation. But I would imagine that <laughs> that would be like after that if it was me i would have completely spiraled because i would have been like who what just happened who am i what do i do now i did i spiraled for like two and a half years after that i was so lost i wasn't talking to anyone i wasn't telling my parents anything like personal i should have went to therapy didn't go to therapy i didn't know i needed it i didn't know what depression was i didn't know what anxiety was really um until that week and that's what spawned it I the money that I did get because I ended up getting a record contract. I I was like, okay, cool. I'm buying a house. And instead of like just like 
really like waiting and researching and I just bought the first house that I was like, yes, that one. And then the economy crashed and like I had to short sell my house because I couldn't afford it anymore. I got dropped from the label. Like the aftermath, the wake of American Idol was terrible. That sounds so hard. And my management wasn't doing anything. I should... I well, should have not should, come like, back to Washington. Woulda. I don't know. Like, how how are you supposed to know any of this back then? You know? I know. Well, yeah. I A, I didn't like LA because I didn't really get to experience it because I was in a bubble, like, trapped on a set for, you know, six yeah. months. And then we toured. The touring was fun, but it was exhausting. We played 60 dates oh, and it was gosh. nonstop. You know what I mean? And during that time, I was making my album. You know, right. for Clive Davis and Ryan Tedder of One Republic, and and was so this it was heartbreak like, on vinyl. What was this? this what album was this? Audio Daydream. Audio Daydream, right? So and, how uh, did I want to know, know a, how did how did you get yourself out of this? I mean, I want you to continue with your story, but I'm also really wanting to know how, how did you recover from all of this? I mean, it took a long time. It's um, I. I I looked at myself as being like, like, I'm better than this. Like, get out of your head, Blake. It's, what are you doing? Don't have a pity party for yourself, you know, because I didn't know how to deal with depression. So I just would get down on myself um, for being depressed. I'm like, you're living the good life. I'm like, but I wasn't, you know what I mean? Because I Mm -hmm. wasn't happy. I was, you know what I mean? It's like. Material things mean nothing when you're in your head all the time and, and you're depressed and you're, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they don't. I mean, look, I mean, we're in a pandemic. I've been living out of two suitcases and just like a little studio set up at my best friend's in Washington, you know, because of the, A, the situation. But, you know, it just also reminds me of like, oh, be thankful for what you have. Be grateful. And uh, you know, you can live minimally. Like, I'm like, oh, cool. All my stuff's in storage because I'm in between places right now. But I'm like, I really don't need any of that stuff in that storage unit. Honestly, if it burnt down, I'd be mad about like some hard drives that have pictures and memories on them. But that's about it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, my art, you know, even, even my art collection that I love, like I would be, I would definitely be sad, but you know what I mean? Like, I wish I could have been there for you. I know we didn't meet till five years ago, but just thinking, because I'm 10 years older than you, and I've had my own journey with anxiety and depression of not knowing that it was okay and going to therapy and trying all the things and feeling super alone with it because I felt like I didn't really fit mm-hmm. in anywhere in my particular life. So I just, I wish I could have been, you know, this person that you could have leaned on during that time. Oh. I wish I, I wish you were too. Oh. But hey, we've Should've had an amazing last five years. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So that aftermath of that wake was just like it was devastating in a way because I'm a person that lifts other people up. So even while I was depressed, I was like helping friends out and doing all those things, and that made me feel good for a while. But then it got to the point where I like. I run away from my problems too because I didn't go to therapy. So I left Washington with just two suitcases, my dog, and I, I, I went and I stayed with a friend for like 10 months in Cali while I was making my second album because um, that depression, I mean, it lasted for like two and a half years or mm. something. Um, I was having panic attacks on the side of the road, like crying and all these things, and I still didn't go to therapy. Like I didn't, oh, man. I didn't know what was happening. I wasn't having 
you know, these conversations, I guess. I didn't really have anyone I felt like I could turn to. Um, and then I just started just like trying to like change it around in my head. And I started working out and I started eating healthy. And I started like, cause at that point I was eating like, I was like drinking a bottle of wine or two a night, smoking weed, just having pizza every day. Like it was depressed. I was depressed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, I was like, dang, like I was not healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, F it. Like I'm in the sunshine, like go for walks, like, you know, you know, even though I'm just living out of like, you know, a suitcase, I'm still flying to New York. I'm doing music I love. And this time I'm like actually writing the music. And, you know, I produced one of the songs on that second album. And I was like proving to myself that I can handle some things. But like looking back in video and pictures, it's just like, oh, man, it's like it's heartbreaking. Like I was like, oh, that was me for a couple of years, you know. And so I was like, I'm never going to go back to that place again. Still no therapy. I didn't get therapy until like four years ago, four years ago. Um, and then just, you know, obviously talking about it helps, mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking now. Um, yeah. I'm but, super uh, pro yeah, therapy. The so. aftermath. <laughs> Yeah, the aftermath of that big of a limelight and the facade of fame really did a number on like me trusting people and accepting people and and me like being who I am again. Like I I wasn't blunt again till like I got therapy like oh, I can be me again. Like I can like tell people how I feel and not just like bottle everything up. I would like in relationships, like all my relationships have failed. I mean, for a certain reason due to me and my lack of communication, because I like, guess I don't trust people as well as I used to, you know? Well, that all for, makes, that all makes sense. It's like, you know? it comes from a, a, an honest place. You know, you went through something that I, I mean, I would consider it kind of traumatic and it, I would think it, if it was me, it would be hard for people to come up and, Sometimes in my life, people have said, like, oh, your life is perfect. You're living the best life. It's like, oh, if only you knew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, that's like totally the case, especially just being on TV. If yeah. you're on TV one time and, and you know, you know, it's it's so funny, the, the facade of, of fame. Yeah. And it's I've never liked it. I never liked reality TV. I never liked um, I guess, I, except for maybe like the first couple of seasons of like the real world, like in the nineties or something, right. cause it was brand new. Like there was no other shows like that. You know what I mean? I know. But- this is making me feel better. Cause when I first met you, I was em- embarrassed because I had never watched American Idol. I think I maybe watched the finale of season one and I didn't know who you were. <laughs> I thought maybe oh, I'm supposed I- to know who he is. No, no. I felt now like, I'm glad. I felt bad. I'd never watched American Idol and I was on the show and then old <laughs> contestants would like come by and be like, hi, like, that's cool. Cool. You Did you have fun while you were here? You know what I mean? I was just like, that's cool. You know, I'm here too. You know, like know. it was, it, you know, it's like. Well, I want to uh, get to your more recent stuff. So let's fast forward a little bit because I really want to play everybody this song off of your new thing. But I also want to talk thing. to you for four hours. <laughs> like I'm liquid literally talk to you for four hours and maybe like later I'll call you and we'll talk for four hours because that's the nice thing about having a brother. We can call and talk to them for yeah. four hours. Well, yeah, yeah. The uh, American Idol stuff, like I said, it's a, a can of worms because it's, you know, there's still a bitter sweetness. So 
you of know, because it was like the best worst experience ever. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> it was the best until the point, and then it became the worst, and then right. it changed my life in a completely different way. And now I'm, I'm freaking great. So well, it's like we're all made up of our stories. You know, like that's a huge mm-hmm. story of your life. Like us finding each other is a different story. Like there's there's so many stories, and they all make up who we are. Yeah. So. What's your story these days? What's going on? Wow. Okay. So I have exciting things happening right now. Um, I am getting out of Washington now that the pandemic's over and I'm vaccinated. And uh, all my stuff was moved to Vegas because I was moving there a year ago um, after (laughs) my tour that got canceled. (laughs) I know. We saw you March 8th. So me and the girls came and saw you perform (laughs) on March 8th freaking eight four of days before my tour got canceled that was the last live I'm, event that we went to was yours Gosh. Oh, it's so crazy really and crazy. that was such a fun show that was really I, fun i miss i miss my acapella friends um so uh my project the private language which my dear friend kevin and i've been playing together since 2002 um we used to have our own show in seattle like once a week um which was kind of not necessarily like an open mic, but we would bring in all these dope, amazing musicians to like do improv for like four hours and MCs and, and, um, he and I, we've traveled the world together and, and we've always wanted to do a project and he finally moved to LA. I'd been in LA for the last decade and we started working on this, this music and then the pandemic hit. I went, I went on tour. So that was like four months we weren't working and then the pandemic hit and I was like, I, I had already been planning. It's been in my head to like move to Vegas for like the last three years. I have great friends there. Uh, just great industry. I have fun there. And um, the, the, the way of life is just nice and cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, all I do is work inside anyway. I can, I can work anywhere. <laughs> I can live anywhere. Um, but the, it's, I, I just need to get out of Cali and experience a new environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was excited and Vegas was promising. And so I moved all my stuff there, uh, to Woo-hoo. be in storage because I came to Washington cause my best friend had a liver transplant and I told him I would stay with him where I am now and now he's good. So, uh, you know, he's got a new lease on life and, and he's selling this house and I'm like, yes, go get it, get it, get it. So I'm excited to get to Vegas cause my project with Kevin, the private language is now getting signed. Um, whoop, whoop, whoop. Get to a dance, with to a dance label. With it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a funky, uh, culmination of, you know, 80 synth kind of pop mixed with electronica and tropical vibes, Yes, you know, trying to take people out of, you know, you know, their headspace and if they're having like a bad day at work, mm-hmm. we want them to like pop it on and have it transport them, you know. Uh, somewhere else, somewhere tropical, somewhere vibey. And <laughs> we're excited about this project. Our first song, our cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World comes out on Earth Day. God, I'm so excited for that. Yes. And uh, we have a music video. Yes. We're excited about it. Yes. And that's that's what's happening right now. <laughs> um, but during the pandemic, my last album, Wanderlust Unknown, um, came out, which I'm very proud of. It was so the first good. album I've produced. So good. Um, the majority of songs by myself and wrote. And, you know, that was a long time coming. And since then, I've produced 
two other artists, um, artists, uh, Olivia Cooper Harris, which is, uh, who is an amazing, like neo soul jazz, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, she's kind of an anomaly to me. Yeah. (laughs) She's, she's, she's dope. Just amazing vocalist, amazing. amazing personality, great songwriter, great melodies. And, uh, I did six on her album. And then I started working with a drag queen and I did five songs for uh, Olivia Ryan. Miss Olivia Ryan. This and, is awesome. Uh, I'm so proud totally of you. Totally different. I'm so totally proud of you. music. <laughs> Thank you. It's fun because I've never been a big sister before. I, was, I grew up with an older brother and now I get to be a big sister and I get to say things like, I'm proud of you and make good choices, things like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still trying to work on that second one. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're doing a really awesome job. So I asked asked Blake to bring a song today um, that he wanted to share and tell us about the song Trouble. Okay, well, this started as a drone, the song. Um, I, I produce everything melodically first and arrange things and um when i write songs i love to have like an arrangement done to where i can write to it unless unless something sparks the lyrics and a vocal first but usually it's i'm a groove person first um so i'll like beatbox an idea uh with my loop pedals or and then a vocal line or something or maybe that'll trigger like a hook or something um but with this one i had I, I, I never worked with my mom before. I mean, I've produced like two little songs for her. Um, but I was like, Hey, I want you, she was in town in Cali and I was like, Hey, I just want you to like riff. Like I want, I want something organic. So I just had this like E minor drone, like, and I had her like, you know, I was like, give me some like chanting like some like indigenous type whatever you feel like would be that vibe like and so I did that for like you know 30 minutes or something I got my mom to do that and I was like thanks and she's like wait that's it (laughs) you know (laughs) you know she was on her way out the door um going back to Washington I was like yeah I'm gonna play with it I'm gonna make a song out of just uh, out of your voice and stuff so it kind of it was birthed from that and then I I, it just kind of took shape into this weird hybrid jazz blues rock um i don't know i I was listening to like a lot of pretty lights and and like grizz all these like amazing electronic like kind of funk slash i don't even know hip-hop producers you know Mm -hmm. and um I started just playing with cool effects and then I got my guitarist to come by and he, he made this really cool line. I was like, yes, yes. Okay. Like something like that. And then let's, let's do this jazz comp section. Um, you know, and it birthed the song and it's the, probably the longest song on the album. But, um, I had my friend Casey Abrams, who was also oh, on yeah. American Idol, like He's four so seasons after me, amazing musician, uh, play upright bass. And we, he did this full intro and, um, yeah, my good friend uh, Brandon Rogers, who was on my season of American Idol, one of my besties, um, he got twelfth or eleventh on the show, and unfortunately, we didn't get to tour because it was the top ten. But he and I became, remained super close; like he's one of my 
dearest friends ever, and he's an amazing producer, vocal arranger. Um, he just did stuff for Coming to America. Um, so sequel, good. Oh, my gosh. And, that show is so funny. He's getting into more like television stuff. I'm super proud of him. He has like had hits with Troy Sivan and, and all these people. And uh, we had never written a song. I was like, cool. We've been Whoa. friends for over a decade and we haven't written a song. He's like, I know. Cause like when we hang out, we just want to hang out. Like I, I write a song every day. He well, writes you know a song who else hasn't day. written a song together is me and you. So that's going to be I the next know. podcast. This was like the whole origin story, but next time <laughs> you and me writing a song. Yeah. So I'm going to play over zoom. Like I want to come to no, please. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm vaccinated. Get over here. Let's come go. on. <laughs> come over. Let's write a song. So I'm going to play your song. So we'll mute ourselves. I'll play that. And then we'll wrap up and I'll play a song that you did sing on written in stars. Um, we can talk about yeah. that after. And then I'll have to say goodbye for now. But for now, we get to <laughs> mute and listen to Trouble.
Okay. That was so good. That's such a jam. It's so good, Blake. It's so Thanks. good. I hear all Put these on, different influences. It's so beautifully produced. It's so good. Thank you. It's also like, this is going to be my summer jam. I'm going to have the windows down. This is going to be cranking. I love it. So That's what it's about. The whole song is about that. It's about oh man, letting it's so good. go and uh, getting on the road and just like leaving your cares behind and, you know, having a good time. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> um, I'm assuming people can just find you at all of the usual places, but tell them where yep. they can find you. Everything black. <laughs> black Everything black. Backslash Blake Lewis uh, will come to me directly, okay. and my new website I just built is blakelewisofficial.com. Awesome! And can I just also say that my my girls think you are the best uncle ever, and it has taken all of their ref- restraint to not come in and bust into this interview. I'm so surprised. <laughs> I love them so much. Shocking. I know. <laughs> I'd be jumping on your, your bed right now. I know. They get very energetic when Uncle Blake is on the call because he does the funny voices and the funny filters, and he's really cool. <laughs> um, so we're going to end the podcast today with a song that I wrote about my journey finding Dinah, finding you, yeah. looking for my mother. I have two mothers. It's great. I have one thing that I will probably continue to say throughout this whole podcast journey is that what I've learned through this whole thing is how much capacity there is for love. There's just so much capacity. People say, isn't it Mm -hmm. strange finding new family? I just say it's just more love. It's more room for love. It's more people that love me and more people for me to love. And is it complicated sometimes? Yes. Mm -hmm. But most things that are worth it are complicated. So, right, yeah. You know, nothing comes easy. Yeah. So, this is, um, I wrote it and then I took it to my friend Byron Isaacs, who plays with Lumineers, and he helped me put some finishing touches on it. And then Blake was in town. So, I said, Hey, guess what? You get to come and sing on my EP. Yeah. And he said, Yay. So, he's singing the co lead on this it's called Written in Stars, and it's on my EP, which is strangely and in no way related called Tiny Language, <laughs> written in stars. We seem to have a, a, a theme with language, I guess. I think, we like, I think we like the language. I think we like the language. So we're going to listen to this, and before this, I'm going to say goodbye to you. And not for long. I'm getting emotional. I'm just, can you guys believe this? Like, what? Come on. Who gets to meet a, a brother as cool as this? Or this, a sister not, as cool as you. Yeah, well. I was you. so stoked. You were. I was like, "What? Oh my god, yes!" I was like, "Yo, she's she's an amazing, accomplished jazz pianist, and and plays and and doing this amazing program at Carnegie Hall, and I have like nieces that are adorable as all all get out, and your husband's awesome, and Thank you. I was, and you live in Brooklyn. I was like, who is this anomaly? <laughs> who is this enigma that gets to be in my life now? I was so excited. Oh man, I think that's what that's our what our song should be about that we write when you come here is who is this enigma? Who is this anomaly? There's something something in those words we should yeah, take. All right, all right. Well, we, now we it's have recorded. actually it is per- written. It is written. TM TM. <laughs> um, we <laughs> we've actually performed together at Rockwood Music Hall a couple of times. Yes, and that was amazing. That that mm-hmm. show we did together, I don't even remember like three mm-hmm. or four years ago, it was so moving and so good. 
So we'll have to do it again when when the time is right, my friend, right. my brother. When, when we can get to full capacity. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody probably can guess that we're both nerds. <laughs> like, I hope so. <laughs> full capacity made me think of the flux capacitor. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Enough of that. So this is Written in Stars. And Blake, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored that you had me as your first guest. The song inside. (laughs) I'm going to have you do that later and record it. Nasty now. This this is I just use like all the time. He also he's so nice that he even remixed my kids' elementary school song, which oh, is I like so this very straight up kid song. And he did a remix of it and can I just say I owe you one for that. <laughs> oh yeah. I had so much fun with that. Okay, we're being nerds. PS one thirty. Everybody's PS one thirty. Oh my god. Have a good time or something. Something like that. Anyway. All right. So Blake, let's mute and but stay on because I want to see your beautiful face rocking out to this song. Look to the 
Song Inside has been brought to you by Deidre Rodman Struck. You can find all things Song Inside at thesonginside.me. I want to thank Blake Lewis so, so much for being here today. You can find him at all things slash Blake Lewis and at Blake Lewis Official. Until then, till next time, till next week when we see you, just remember, everyone has a song inside, including you. <laughs>